Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, great to be with you this morning. Um, my name is Young, pastor here at New Life. Uh, we've had a, a couple of you know, emotional people up here already, and I know a lot of people have been asking me if I'm going to get emotional next week when we're baptizing my son. I don't know. <laughs> um, keep asking me, and I don't know. You know, I don't know if I'll cry. You know, I, I am kind of an emotional person, um, but we'll see. Bora will hold me together, and she'll be the foundation under my feet. Um, Stella shared a little bit about the story behind it as well. Um, I don't know if uh, many of you have heard that story. You know, it's about uh, this man named Horatio Spafford. Uh, he's the one that wrote it, and. He lost uh, pretty much his whole fortune in the Great Fire in Chicago uh, back in the 1800s. Um, he lost his son, his four-year-old son, around that time to scarlet fever. And so that's kind of the story behind it as well. Um, he, you know, this was before he wrote it. He thought that maybe, you know, his family should go on holiday, get their mind off things, and take a little bit of time to unwind. And so he sent uh, his four daughters and his wife uh, first on this ship to England um, in order to kind of get situated. He was going to wrap things up back at home, and then he was going to join them. But it was while crossing the Atlantic that the ship, uh, it was involved in a collision, and it sank. And all four of his daughters perished at that time. Um, his wife survived. Uh, his wife, when she arrived in England, sent a telegram uh, to her husband, basically just saying, save the loan, what shall I do? So, of course, uh, Horatio, he, you know, immediately set sail for England. And at one point, the captain of the ship, uh, knowing what had already happened uh, to his four daughters, to his wife, as they uh, passed over the spot where the collision had happened, he called for Horatio to join him. And he was telling him, this is where the shipwreck happened. You know, I don't know if you want to pay respects. And so Horatio, he thought about his daughters, and then he felt comforted by the Lord. And so he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. And so that's the story behind it as well. Um, Whatever comes our way, we know that we have our Savior. We know that we have the steadfast love of our God. And he's the one that comforts us. It's uh, quite relevant, I think, as we think about, um, I guess, the chaos of those waters, you know, especially in uh, the oceans or especially in uh, some of the stuff that we've been talking about. We talked about it last week as we began our baptism mini-series. Um, it's only this week and then next week. Um, last week in our sermon, we looked at the image of chaotic waters and how this image of danger and chaos It doesn't just stay localized within just bodies of water, but it becomes embodied by our humanity and by our sin as well. And so we saw last week how the Egyptian army, they pursued Israel as they escaped slavery, and we saw that God saved them through the waters, and he turned the chaotic waters into waters of salvation. Uh, Today is kind of our final sermon in this mini-series. We haven't done many of these super short sermons, and it's only two because next week we'll have a fairly full baptism and confirmation service. Quite a number of people are getting baptized or confirmed, and we'll also have our regular communion time. Uh, But with that in mind, how about I pray for us, and we'll get into the word for this morning. 
Uh, Father, we can say confidently with the hymn writer that whatever our lot in life, you are the one who teaches our soul to say, it is well. Nothing that can happen on this earth can take us away from the eternal love and forgiveness and grace that you have for us. So as we turn to you this morning, we ask, Lord, that you would open up our eyes, that we might be able to see that you're there waiting for us to welcome us in. You have open arms. Your disposition towards us is kindness and it's love. How we long for this here on this earth from so many different sources. We try to keep warm with Money to try to cover over all the emptiness in our hearts. We try to cover over things with relationships, with the different feelings that we get from these fleeting things here on this earth. But you are the only one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we turn to you this morning and we ask that you would make us Recognize that you are good. Make us into believers of who you are and help us, Lord, to commit all of ourselves to you, knowing that you are kind and that you are good. Would you show us grace this morning? Would you bring salvation to those that don't know you? Would you help us, Lord, to love you now? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And this morning's Bible reading uh, that Christine read to us, it tells us that John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Uh, Matthew 3, verses 1 to 3 reads this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Now, last week we saw the Israelites get saved through the waters uh, from slavery in Egypt. But if you know the Bible story at all, you might have a little bit of the sensation of, I know what's coming. You know, this dread, because you know that afterwards, what happens? They're going to be wandering in the wilderness because of their lack of faith. You know, a journey that should have only taken a few days takes them 40 years and an entire generation dies before they make it. And this might be what comes to your mind as you think about John appearing in the wilderness, because none of these words that are being used in the Bible are used accidentally. And so when we read that he's found in the wilderness, I mean, we meet John, he's, you know, from the description we can see he's a bit of a wild beast of a man. He's got clothing made of camel hair. I don't know if any of you guys have clothing made of camel hair. He's eating locusts and wild honey as he preaches. And you can imagine meeting this man anywhere in safety, let alone the wilderness. This is the kind of person that you meet. You know, a lot of art depicts John the Baptist as, at the most, slightly disheveled. You know, but a lot of the art just kind of shows him just pasty, looking very nice, to be honest. And, and I think this is like the wildest picture that I could, get, I could get of him. It's a little bit hard to see in that background. But he's, he looks kind of like Hagrid from Harry Potter here. And I think that's as far as we get when we look at art. But 
You know, I get a bit more of a wild feel from him when I read the Bible and I read this description. But the wilderness isn't a nice place. You know, we read about him in the wilderness. It is, however, where this kind of preaching is perhaps most needed, where John's preaching is probably most needed because those who have faltered in their faith, symbolically, they might find themselves wandering in the wilderness. You know, quite often, this can be our experience as well. We might find ourselves in some way wandering in the wilderness. A lot of our our Christians here, we might agree that our first instinct when things aren't going quite well, when we struggle in our faith with sin, a lot of the time our first instinct, it's not to run to the Father. We actually turn, we don't read his word to us, we don't pray, we don't seek out help from our brothers and sisters in our community but we run in the opposite direction to a lonely place, to a desolate place, to the chaotic waters that we read about, the wilderness. Whether physically or just mentally in our minds, that's where we turn. And this is where we find the Baptist. And yet, it's not baptism that we see John doing first. When we read about John, the first thing that we see him doing is preaching. He preaches to the people because John is first introduced to us here in, John, here in Matthew's account as a prophet rather than a baptizer. The first thing that he does is something that's prophetic. Repent because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near. He tells the people to repent first. And this is how we first meet John in the wilderness. In fact, even his baptism It's not just for the sake of a ritual. It's not just for the sake of the title, John the Baptist, but it's a prophetic act that John the Baptist leads the people through. He brings them to the water. He has them pass through the water in order to recommit themselves to God. And we've seen this imagery before. We've seen this imagery in Israel passing through the waters to find salvation. In my time as a Christian, I've seen a few different prophetic acts take place. I've taken part in some of them myself. You're taking part in one right now because the Sunday gathering where we listen to the word preached, it can be seen often as prophetic. Uh, veteran preacher John Piper, I don't know if he's still you know, listened to a lot these days, he talks about how he prays before preaching, Lord, bring to my mind truths about yourself and about this text and about this people that I'll be able to say in such a way that they will pierce with unusual and prophetic power into their lives. Because the word that's preached, there's something about it that strikes our hearts. Sometimes people wonder, is someone actually looking into my life when they hear the word preached? And so the word preached with our hearts wide open, we allow it to prophetically cut all the way to our innermost being. We pray for God to change us. But beyond this as well, there's stuff like foot washing, if you've ever taken part in this, as a prophetic act of servanthood and love. Or there's things like writing down our sins and burning them as prophetic acts of confession, repentance, and receiving forgiveness. And these are all things that we see, but perhaps we don't consider the prophetic nature of baptism and of confirmation. When we take part in things like baptism and confirmation, it's more than just a little water that gets sprinkled on our heads. It's more than just a ritual that parents take their children through. But there's something taking place here. The chaotic waters that were meant to be certain death for us, 
we enter into them. And when we rise, we find our God to be faithful. We find that death hasn't consumed us. He is the one who's taken us through the waters of death and into the waters of life. When those confirmed receive prayer, it's a prophetic act that them receiving the responsibility of the kingdom of heaven coming near, they recognize that this coming kingdom changes them now. It's not about them waiting until later in order for that to change, but it determines their behavior, their thoughts, and all of their lives now. It's a reorienting of our lives. It changes us. It changes our children's lives and their upbringing as well. Because as parents and as our our church community, we come into agreement with what God is doing in us. And we turn to God in the baptism and in the confirmation. Now you might be wondering, turning from what? What do we actually turn from? Read with me verses seven to 10. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance, and don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. And this is about us. This is like us as Gentiles, as non-Jewish people. You know, God has raised us up from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So John's prophetic preaching, it reaches its climax talking about judgment. He's talking about judgment, and this gives some added fire to this preaching about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God doesn't just come near and just sit there, because unless there's salvation, unless there's grace and mercy from the coming king, his enemies will be crushed underfoot that we completely decimated by his judgment. And John preaches this to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those who might, like us, sit in the places of worship, they might debate endlessly about their interpretations of the word. They might talk about worship, but ultimately they might resist real change. The ax is already at the root of the trees, Judgment is at hand. And those that don't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. And so the way that the Israelites live is called into question. John prophetically gets to the heart of the matter and he asks them, how are you living? They had all the reason in the world to follow God. They know all of the salvation that their nation has gone through that God has graciously brought upon them, and yet they continue wandering in the wilderness. Now, if this is your experience, if you often feel like your life isn't in order, if you feel like you've been trying your hardest but nothing ever changes, you're not alone. Today, this morning, is not meant to be a message of judgment. Don't hear it this way. You're not the only one who comes to Sunday service, feels conviction in your heart, and then walks away with no real change. 
Sometimes it feels like we're trying our best to cross the waters ourselves, but we end up sinking slowly rather than making it all the way across. And we fall into those chaotic waters instead of making it to salvation. But John's prophetic preaching, it doesn't leave us to drown in these waters. He says it like this in verses 11 and 12. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who's coming after me is more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. John's main purpose here on this earth is to point the way to Jesus. He arrives on the scene not to gain a following for himself, not to baptize people even, but to point the way to Jesus. This is his main ministry. So he recognizes and even tells the people that his baptism pales in comparison to the one to come. Jesus is the one that we identify with in the baptism. Even though Jesus himself, we don't have any record of him baptizing people himself here on this earth, but he's the one to whom we turn so that we can be completely turned around and we can commit our lives to him. John's baptism is not only a prophetic act for the people to indicate their recommitment to God, they're gonna be passing through the waters. They're gonna be repenting of their faithlessness. They'll be recognizing that entering into the waters is an acknowledgement that only God can save. But this baptism is also the place that we're gonna see God come near to us. Mark chapter one, verses nine to 11, is a very short account of Jesus being baptized by John. It reads this, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus comes near to us in his identity. But what is this identity? What is it about him that we see in this passage? The focus of this passage isn't so much on what Jesus did. It's not so much even about the baptism itself. So even as he submits himself to the baptism, it's on who he is. This is the main point of this passage. That's the climax. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit, the Son, and the Father are all together here, and Jesus' identity as the Son of God gets highlighted for us. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus, being the Son of God, in whom God is well pleased, he submits himself to John's baptism. The one who comes with a greater baptism by the fire of the Holy Spirit goes to John to receive this water baptism. And that's it. That's the entire passage. There's no explanation given by Mark in this account of Jesus' baptism, nothing to explain why the sinless Son of God would go into the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John has just got, gotten done talking about, he's linked this prophetic act of baptism with repentance and forgiveness of sins. What use does the Son of God, who's sinless, have for this? 
What we do know is that Jesus recognizes and identifies with the people's need for repentance of sin. Even if, even if he himself doesn't have sin to repent of, he identifies with the people and their need to receive forgiveness and to be restored through the Holy Spirit. And so as Jesus identifies with us, we're called to identify with him as well. The invitation is there to join in with Jesus in this baptism. It's an invitation to identify with all that has happened throughout all of history, all of God's salvation on his part, of his people. And we are a part of his people. 1 Corinthians 10 reads this. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The meaning of the baptism, we've talked about this in the First Corinthians series, we've looked at this passage, the meaning of the baptism has to be understood within the context of the major events throughout biblical history. Everything that we read about in the Bible, it affects us, it becomes our history as well. And so we see the link between our baptism, our confirmation, and Israel's salvation exodus. The most major event that our baptism brings us into is Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Our old selves are crucified with Christ, represented by the chaotic waters of death. And then we rise together with Jesus in the waters of life. Romans 6 says this, or are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we'll certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. It goes on, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Through all of the chaos and death of the waters, through all the evil that humanity can commit, the violence that we inflict on one another, verbally, physically, whatever it might be, the proclamation from the Father God at his son's baptism is that he is well pleased to see his precious son be the one to rescue this fallen world by going through the waters of death and arriving safely on the other side. He will subject his son to the waters of death so that we can make it as well. And this is our baptism. We prophetically declare that we, t we too will enter into the waters of death, but we're gonna arrive safely in resurrection. And this is certainty that nothing can ever take away. Now, how do we know this? Read again, Mark 1, 9 to 11. 
In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Have you ever noticed that the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus here, but that Mark's account doesn't say that it's a temporary thing? It doesn't just come upon him and then disappear. The Spirit of God isn't just there with Jesus in order to equip him for a work that he's about to do, and then it's just going to disappear. But he's with the Son as a permanent presence. He's there with him constantly. Just as with us, the Spirit of God dwells in us permanently. And as we identify with Jesus, our identity in Jesus is made permanent as well. So we're no longer sinking into death and chaos as we try to walk through on our own. But we take Jesus' hand. We walk with him by the power of the Holy Spirit and we sink deep into God's grace like an ocean. We identify with what's being said of the Son of God by the Father but we identify with it with for us. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. That's for us. We're going to see some of our brothers and sisters next week take this extraordinary step to be baptized, to bring their children for baptism, and to confirm their faith in God. I urge you, pray for them. Pray for them throughout this week. It's a declaration of their trust in God's promises for them. For us, as their family of faith, we have the privilege of affirming these promises with them next week. We come around them, we hold them tight, and we tell them, yes, these promises are for you. You are beloved. In you, God is well pleased. And we get to celebrate the eternal life that we share as a gift alongside our brothers and sisters as well. Why don't we take some time to pray? For you, if you find yourself faltering in your faith, or if you don't have a faith to speak of, You can pray now to this God. Ask him to make you into a believer. Ask him to comfort your heart and your soul. To reassure you that all is well with him. He's the only one that's going to bring peace to your restless heart. He's the only one in whom find the rest and the fulfillment that you're looking for. So why don't you take some time to pray?